You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land on which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors on the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded, it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Represent. You're listening to Represent on Sin. We're back, our second show of the year. It's Naya here with Casper and Declan. Bridie's now abandoned us. They're dropping like flies. <laughs> We're still here, though. Yeah, you yeah, are. We are. Ready for another day. Yeah. Look at this new and eager. Yeah. How are you both? How are your weeks? I'm good. It's been a good week. Today I went to the German concert on political topics. Um, so that's been a good day. It was uh, late. Typical, I don't think the Germans were happy with me when I got there late, but um, yeah, good to throw a joke in. But um, yeah, no, looking to get my passport, but the week's been nice. I think, uh, yeah, haven't really done too much. Been pretty yeah, chill. nice and quiet. How about you, Declan? Oh, I haven't actually done that much. I've just had appointments, nothing much. This, that seems cool about the German thing. Are you going to Germany? Uh, I'd like to go in a year, so oh, cool. doing it nice and early. Yeah. That's a little bit more German of me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. You're making yeah. up for it. Have you done anything special now? I've seen a lot of people and I've definitely done a lot of things, but all those things have tired me out. I did have my first rehearsal um, for a new thing that I'm a part of, which is exciting. That was on Monday night. Um, so, yeah, that was fun. It was about, about an hour, ten away, though. So, you know, good drive. Good drive in the evening. But no, no, it's been a been a good week. Can you disclose what that thing is or would you like to keep that secret? I probably can, but I won't. I'll tell you after, during the song. Yeah. And uh, have you been watching anything interesting this yeah, week? Speaking of, um, I finished, as we talked about last week, Nemesis, I finished the series. The last episode dropped this week, so it was ScoMo. Um, it was probably, I found it probably the most entertaining of the three, mainly because I think ScoMo came off the worst out of the three of them. And that's pretty, like, tough competition considering that there was also Abbott in there, from my opinion. But um, I think in the whole documentary series, they've done it pretty well in the end, I, I would like to say. Um, I, I think in, Scomo was, like, he was grilled about the bushfires when his holiday to Hawaii, um, sort of the wim- the women issue and how that became a big topic at the election. Yeah. Um, uh, the submarine deal change, that was probably a big thing in, in his uh, political leadership. And then also, like... Um, 
the five ministries that he assigned himself up to. Um, so there was a few things to go through in the whole documentary series. So this one probably rightfully took an hour and a half, whereas the others, like, it felt like easy watching considering how bang, bang, bang it was. Yeah. Um, whereas the other ones maybe dragged on a little too long. Yeah. Um, but one thing that, like, as I was saying, he came off the worst out of the three of them. One thing that repetitively kept happening on every single issue was that uh, he would blame the media for taking things out of context. Oh. At a certain point, he kind of needs to realise that he's the problem, not the media, because every time he's asked about whether he regrets comments or, um, for example, like, I don't hold a hose with the, with the fireman issue or, or with the five ministries or the submarines if he regrets not telling Macron beforehand. Um, you're almost By the end of it, I'm almost waiting for the point that he goes, uh, yes, maybe I could have said things, maybe like that was a bit harsh, and it was always, always there was always a but there about how something was taken out of context. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was it was pretty grilling. Yeah. yeah. It, it was it yeah. was pretty good in the end. I actually would like to say yeah. I look forward to watching it. Yeah, same. It seems like a cool season. I may have spoiled everything there for everyone, but um, no, definitely go back and watch it. There were some good things on there. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's not fictional. Yeah. Right. I do wonder what you were saying about it. it um, flowing really easily in the hour and a half. I wonder if we've actually heard the other stories for so many years now that they were almost more expected, Where we, whereas we were reliving something for the first time now um, with Morrison. It was one of the ones where they also, like... I mean, Morrison was the last of yeah. these three. So it was one of the ones, though, where they... Um, they went back because the ministries thing dropped later. Yes. So it all feels pretty recent. But yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty... Um, it's a good thing to compare with, I guess, uh, the other two yeah. to see what's going on now. I look forward to it. We'll just have like a staggered discussion of this every yeah. week, depending <laughs> on who's watched what. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get feedback from other people as they watch it throughout the year and, and we'll see whether or not it's commented on much throughout the year. Yeah. I don't remember how much reception the killing season got. Yeah, I think there's been quite a big reception for this one. Yeah. I ha- haven't. There's an article I'm meaning to read about whether this is like uh, the, the, a show of really good documentary journalism. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what people think about it and how how present it is. Especially, um, Scummer's retired now, so uh, yeah. So um, I guess yeah. One of the one of the politicians was saying that um, the Liberal Party can't get away from. Uh, if it, as long as he was still in office, um, they would never be able to get away from him and the five ministries, um, yeah. that sort of thing. So it, it would be interesting to see also how, how much this hangs over the Liberal Party's head yeah. going forward. Yeah, And I think we mentioned briefly last week um, the fact that with his resignation, we have no former prime ministers currently sitting in parliament. And it's an interesting thing to think that both, like they are very experienced, so their wisdom could be valuable, but like you said, their mistakes will be will be drawn out the longest. They're, they are mistakes made by the most quote unquote important person in the country. Yeah. Oh, it's a yeah. very oh, very big. fascinating. Um, do we want to let Let's jump to a song and then we will get the news from sure. Declan. Sure. This I will let you know what the song was after it plays because who knows what's going to play. Hopefully, we'll hear Willow by Taylor Swift at some point. You're listening to Sin.
Declan with the news here. According to the ABC Queensland opposition leader David Christopher and Queensland's Premier Stephen Miles clash in Parliament. This is due to youth crime issues and the principle of detention as a last resort. Let me be very clear. This government will detain young offenders where they are a risk to the community. And that is, and that is proven. According to Victoria Police, they are now treating the disappearance of Ballarat mum Samantha Murphy as suspicious after she vanished as Police Commissioner Shane Patton believes it may be because of foul play. A really strong woman and she's far too determined to give up this fight. I know she's out there somewhere, so if you could please continue to search for her to give us something to work with. We really appreciate it. According to news.com.au, some alarming discoveries at Erin Patterson's home that may make her jail sentence extended. And Victoria is under fire as hundreds of thousands of homes have lost and one person has died. Barnaby Joyce is facing backlash over him lying on the ground as he says it's due to medication. Obviously, you know, I, I made a big mistake. Uh, there's no excuse for it. There's a reason. And, um, you know, this is a very eventful walk home, wasn't it? So. Tom Elliott has taken former COVID response commander Jerome Weimar to task in light of his new lucrative appointment as the head of the state government's housing policy. A political surveying man from Redbridge has his say on Jerome Weimar's half a million dollar salary. And Anthony Albanese has proposed to his Partner Jodie Hayden, the Prime Minister, posted on Instagram announcing the big news writing, She said yes. He's the first Australian Prime Minister to get engaged whilst in office. And this is my news here. Thank you for that. I'm very excited for Anthony Albanese. Yeah, we know. <laughs> We've heard you came in. That's the first thing you said today when you came into the studio. It is, it is very exciting. You know, love is in the air. Yeah, yeah. On Valentine's Day too. He yeah. really... Pop the question. And apparently he's also the one to design the ring. I read that oh, as well. That's, that's cool. So he, he put a bit of effort into that as well, oh, which is pretty oh, cute. Oh, lovely. Oh, I can't wait to see wedding photos. Well, do you think they'll get married in office? As in whilst they're in office or in no, office? It, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he did he did pop the question at the lodge, apparently, so in, oh, in Canberra. Right so that's, that's already in office, I guess, or on the theme of politics. Yeah. But maybe... So I, there's... Do you think that he'll get married while he's in office? Yeah, because he would, I'd think as any prime minister would, he'd assume that he'll still be in office for, you know, another term or so. Right, and that's his question, yeah. I couldn't wait that long. I don't want to wait that long for wedding photos. So, you know, if you're listening, I would like the wedding sooner rather than later for the pretty pictures. But I'm sure it'll be a year or so. I mean... um, who do we see? Uh, oh, my goodness. Jacinda Ardern. She didn't get married for a long time until she was just recently out of office. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, could, it could go that way too. Could go. Um, I think Penny Wong is also getting married. To, yeah. I think that's also confirmed as well. Oh, More that's wedding interesting. Photos. So, um, yeah, there's a few, a few going around. 
Yeah. Love really is in the air in Parliament. What did we think of the Barnaby Joyce um, saga that's going on with the, him Lying found, on the, yeah, the found intoxicated on the ground? I, I, I thought his backlash or the Liberal Party's backlash to the, and the Nationals, I guess, the, to the whole ordeal was that um, why would someone be filming him on the ground True. rather True. than trying to help him? I think, but, did yeah. he say it was due to medication? Mixing medication with alcohol. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, any, he was also on the phone. Yeah. I have loved the fact that so quickly people adopted it as a meme before he had even made a statement about it. Here it is everywhere. And I honestly, I'd, I'd heard about him being found lying on the ground and there was this other guy everywhere on people's social media. And then I realised, oh, wait. That's him. He's just, you know, everywhere. And so maybe maybe it's a campaign. Well, it's the start of his campaign, yeah, the new yeah. Nationals campaign. What is it? What's the, uh, what's the word? Any, any um, publicity is good publicity? Yeah, yeah. That's there the we term. go. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going, no. yeah. Oh. Now. Now. Trump. Trump. Mar-a-Lago? Is that how we say it? I Have think so. Must be. Must yeah, be. it sounds right. Um, what's your thoughts, Naya? The new revelations in the case? <laughs> Um, I'm glad we get to revisit it. Yes, because it's quite important, as it's, like, shocking, really. Yeah. But and that's Trump. I've got it. As, as I'd said, we, uh, when we spoke about it last year, we had the, the great photo of the bathroom. It was the bathroom, wasn't it? Yes. So yeah. there's a photo that has, they took when the FBI got to Mar-a-Lago and found the documents. So for context, we're talking about uh, the new... Um, the new developments in the case where Trump is uh, fighting... Well, he's, he's turned up to court, I believe. Or have they gone to court yet? We don't, we're not sure on the details, which is probably not good confirm. of us. We will confirm. But um, the debate currently is about whether uh, um, the information within these classified documents should be uh, released as part of the court case. So, so it should be disclosed. And um, I guess what's going on is there's a photo going around of, of what the F, well, what we're interested in is the photo that's been going around of uh, Trump's bathroom in Mar-a-Lago uh, where they took the documents from and all it, we've got it on our socials but all I can think about is the fact that there's all these boxes in his bathroom which has a chandelier above it also has a chandelier above the toilet I want a chandelier in my bathroom yeah I do too it's kind big of, nice gold one yeah it, it is yeah. a big nice gold one with lots of glass yeah. and um but all these boxes there and all I can think of is the fact that he must have been reading these while on the toilet um <laughs> <Yeah>. which is <laughs> such a uh, a thrilling thing to think about um Trump on the toilet reading these documents. Uh, but on more serious notes, I would say that now there's a lot of discussion over whether um, Trump's tactic of delaying all these court cases and delaying whether these are disclosed. Uh, these Declan's showing me a photo of Trump on the toilet, <laughs> a photoshopped one. Um, whether all these uh, documents will be released, uh, and if so, if these uh, if the court case gets pushed back, Trump. His tactic at the moment is to push the court case back so that when he gets into office, he can appoint, uh, I believe, the Attorney General, um, or that might be the wrong person. I might have got my facts wrong. Um, Keep talking. That can then, will then be able to d dismiss all the cases. So his tactic is delay, 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 hopefully win the election, then he won't have to face any charges in court. Yeah, I, I mean, it's clever. Um, 
and it'll be something to look... Um, it's a long time to delay everything, though, because the the actual election isn't until... Uh, oh, is it November? I did know this. October, November? We need to get a big election calendar going for we this year. Do. Yeah, oh, we do. Yeah, we do. Because they've got all of the states. We've had a couple... Um, where does he run for pre-selection in? That should be something that I know. Um, but yeah, I, it'll be something. It'll be something to watch. And I mean, even lately, we've had articles coming out asking, "Are they too old to run?" And we see that every year, and they only or every every election. Um, it's interesting that they're they're going sort of. People will find other avenues to not criticise the wrong words, um, to be sceptical about people's um, ability ability to run, yet we've still got um, someone who actually... I believe he can still run as a convicted felon. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an unusual system. Well, he has been removed from the, the running in two states, I believe. Yeah. But they're pretty safe democratic states. Um, I'm not too sure. I believe Oregon might be one of them. Yes. Um, yeah, that sounds right. Then again, with the facts. <laughs> I've got some of the facts, but not the full details. No, no, but, that's right. Um, I believe that he might have been removed. But uh, in this case, yeah, it is kind of con- concerning that, that someone who um, might be uh, convicted of, of, of serious crimes um, could be running for president. Yeah. On the idea that whether they're too old as well. This is something I do have a little bit more facts on. Um, Joe Biden... There's been also talk about the uh, him having just like uh, classified documents at his house. Um, oh. There was that they, they, they were found there, or that he was questioned over it, uh, and he was allowed to have them at his house. I don't think he's committed any yes, crimes okay. doing that. But uh, um, it does also beg the question of whether like um, he he was told that he like he his excuse was that he couldn't remember it, and there's been big talk over his memory as well. Not sure yeah. how much time we should give airtime we should give that, but he's um, also done a few things where uh, he hasn't remembered the dates and things like that. So mm. it's kind of concerning that. I mean, from my my opinion is that it's kind of concerning that the two uh, two presidents in the or the two presidential candidates in the United States, mo- most likely presidential candidates, um, both are really old and also both uh, uh, um, have their separate issues. So it's it's not very um, optimistic. No, and and I feel like. Each each time we come to election, their age always comes up. Mm. But then then you get these these other underlying um, discussions. We're seeing a lot of world leaders. I mean, a lot. It does make sense that world leaders are you know they are very experienced. They have a lot of life behind them. Um, most most prime ministers uh, are at least middle aged um, in Australia. You sort of sit around there. But we are seeing we are seeing more more illness um, too in world leaders because we've had um, the cancer diagnosis in King Charles. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, uh, maybe that'll maybe that'll be the point where if if there is a diagnosis that people will step down. He's stepped back from duties. Maybe they will. I don't think they will. Just my guess. They will still run. They will still run if they they are unwell. Might hold on to power. I think that's yeah. the idea. Yeah, because yeah, I mean. There's, there is a sense of you are voting in Trump or Biden, and that goes for any election. You are, you are voting in a government led by them, and therefore it's the you know the Trump government or the Biden government. So, if people like the face, they'll probably vote for it. Oh, it's such a fascinating country. Um, <laughs> speaking of, I'm like, there's lots of happening there. I've I've got stuff to talk about them too. 
um, which we can jump into. Any last comments? No, I'd like to hear America? it. We have more classified documents in America. Okay. And these ones uh, potentially, it's all very potentially pose a national security risk, depending on who you ask. Um, so the Speaker of the House, who we talked about a lot last year um, over the couple of weeks when the Speaker was being selected, um, Mike Johnson, he said, according to ABC America, which does confuse me every time, um, he said, quote, we are going to work together to address this matter as we do all sensitive matters that are classified. We just want to assure everybody's steady hands are at the wheel. So uh, there are classified documents which there are uh, there's multiple um, Republican representatives who are interested in them being um, the information being readily made available to Congress um, in a secure manner. Are we aware of what the classified documents could contain? There it is. Now, let me see. I'll just jump to it. So, according to the Guardians, we're jumping between different countries' media here, uh, ABC News and the New York Times cited unnamed sources as saying that their security threat that the security threat Turner, we'll jump back to him, was referring to involved the Russia, uh, sorry, involved Russia's potential deployment of a nuclear anti-satellite weapon in space. The New York Times said U.S. allies had also been briefed on the intelligence, which was not deemed to represent an urgent threat, as the alleged Russian capability was still in development. And there's been mixed responses by um, both. Russian nuclear force experts, which was a title I didn't know you could have, um, and international relations experts, and some of them are expressing concern, some scepticism about whether or not it's actually an issue. Uh, something I found interesting was why we latched onto this issue. Um, there are so many, there, there's so many things that go on in private and private documents, um, but I wonder if that is a reflection of how the public is feeling about uh, international relations um, and potentially the the potential threat. I mean, when you think about it, if you get very, very technical, there's potential threat from any other nation. Um, but we have seen in, with the war in Ukraine um, that there is, there is um, threat from Russia. Russia is a powerful nation. Russia um, is the, the, the threat at the moment or hot topic, it's apart from hot China topic. maybe, but... Yeah, I feel like China was very much uh, the year before last, a lot during um, Scott Morrison's yeah. term. There was a lot of China, but when when the war began between Russia and Ukraine, the eyes sort of moved there. And and it's interesting. Very side note, getting off topic, how quickly we and and the media and just people talking will move on from one serious issue while it continues. Because at the start of this year, with um, everything happening in Gaza. I had almost forgotten that there is still conflict going on between Russia and Ukraine, but we move we move between these. This is a total side note. It's really interesting this. as well where the funding goes as well. Yeah. Because as soon as there, there was a lot of NATO support going into, um, and I'm sure there still is, going into the Ukraine war, Ukraine-Russia war, sorry. But as soon as uh, Israel-Gaza, um, or the Israel-Palestine conflict picked up, um, America has sort of completely shifted their focus because of their allies, with, like their, their allegiance yeah. with, with Israel. And I do feel like in 
the global media cycle, it tends to be where America's focused is where the rest of the world is focused. Yeah. Um, and so that's why this, these, these uh, uh, documents can be particularly important. Um, I think that the, the idea that there's yeah, a Russian nuclear specialist in America is a is, um, new development, but, but probably pretty important as well. Yeah. I wonder if Australia has a similar... Yeah, I, I believe it's someone who has who has studied um, that that sort of you know public relations and nuclear capabilities. Um, something I took note of a couple of there's not much not much has been said. Um, people have been pressed on the issue um, but haven't haven't said heaps about it. It's still relatively new. It was happening during this week. Um, but the now I'm just going to make sure I get get his name right. Um, so, uh, also according to the ABC, Connecticut Democratic Representative Jim Himes said in a statement that whilst the warning of national security risk is, quote, significant, it is not, quote, cause, a cause for panic. Um, so, he also then said, this was the bit that I thought was interesting, um, just for a, a separate discussion, but using this as a springboard, so he said, um, quote, as to whether more can be declassified about this issue, that is a worthwhile discussion, but it is not a discussion to be had in public. And I thought this was interesting because, yes, a lot of political things happen in pub- uh, out of the public eye. And sometimes it has to because the public eye is the international eye too. Um, and someone like America, they're a massive power. What they do will be seen and scrutinised by other powers. Um, but as soon as I heard that, I, the theatre kid at heart that I am, started hearing Hamilton. You know, I want to be in the room where it happens. And I thought it was interesting to be saying outright that, you know, this is a significant issue, but it's not one we're going to talk about in public. And I think, and I'm I'm only, you know, getting nitty gritty on the way he said it. Um, It's interesting acknowledging that, that so much does go on behind the scenes in Parliament with discussions and how much do we acknowledge that we don't we don't see it all. But also part of, um, back to the theatre kid, part of um, those founding fathers, so to speak, was enabling the public to have sight in what goes on um, in, leading, in leading them. I don't know, we don't hear that a lot from Australian uh, MPs' thoughts. No, it's true. I think, I guess, back to Nemesis as well, that's something that came out of it that uh, all these talks of secret meetings yeah, and meetings that were rushed through or things like that, I think that's something that tends to happen, you, but politicians are well-trained are well to like discuss, like to confront the media. So yeah. when they talk to the media, they talk about having uh, or consulting people or having discussions. Or, yeah. And then you hear, oh, I wasn't aware about the discussion or wasn't informed of that. But that's co- sort of codified language for the idea that, yeah, there might be these meetings where... Politicians are meeting late at night to discuss things. For example, the ousting of, um, I believe it was Turnbull or Abbott. Um, I'm not too sure. I'd have to go back. I believe it's Abbott. But yeah, um, watched, where people are yeah, meeting together yeah, they to did get have their rid- late night yeah, meeting. late late night meetings over a drink to see wow. how we can work out if we have the numbers to get rid of someone. Yeah. Um, that's that's pretty interesting to think about. And I think having these like uh, it's. Political history is quite interesting, like that, because you can you hear about these sort of stories of having meetings or or, um, or American presidents meeting with their, their 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 politicians that they they trust at their villas or something like that in, in Texas or something something crazy, yep. and that comes up and it's maybe 
um, you hear about it 50 years later when they were talking about something like the Cold War or, or discussions of nuclear missiles. But you don't actually think about it in like the present tense that it might be happening um, as you go buy a coffee or something like that. Yeah, and going also adding to the nemesis thing that that discussion that they did have. It's interesting to think when when I hear that you know they're having private discussions, I do think of it as you know a past thing. You know, obviously those things happened during those terms of government, but they wouldn't happen now. Albanese's not out there having private meetings, but I'm sure he's. And the party room is considered private too. It's not in the chamber. It's not put on the Hansard. Um, but even with the Hansard, we now have access to so much political information um, freely that being told that things are going on in private, I, I just think it's an interesting way of, of a polit- politician speaking uh, to and about the public. This is a funny thought. Mm-hmm. I think if you could... Thinking about that political history and, and sort of the fly-in-the-wall idea, if you could be in the room of one political discussion, Australian or inter-global, like, which room would you like to be a fly on the wall in if you go back in time? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. R- racking my brains. What's party the best one? Like there are a couple... Well, there's a cu- couple of Victorian ones, but I feel like there's... Some of the... Well, I mean, some of those ones have now been talked about, and so I, I do know to ex- a certain extent... Um, you know, I I know uh, say say um, when I read Malcolm Turnbull's autobiography, there were various times he'd talk about you know having discussions. Um, none in particular spring to mind, but I would love to be in in any any of those discussions that one politician says this is what happened. I just, I always want to know what that you know the other people how the other people viewed that conversation, especially when it's an argument when people talk about an argument um, that people have. But no, oh, a particular one. Probably that meeting late at night that outed Abbott afterwards. Yeah. How about you, Declan? Oh, I'd probably choose the National Cabinet one when they had to quickly come... People, ministers had to quickly come back from to f- to Parliament when, uh, during, like, the school holidays at January. I'd be like to be a fly on the wall on that one because I'd find it interesting, like... Because they were discussing about, like, cost of living and stuff and I'd be interested to hear, like, what... The other premiers have got to say because I know some Labor ones they might have different views to like the Liberal ones because I know I think like Northern Territory might be Liberal can't remember but I know one of them is so I think that'd be interesting because different point of views because different parties and stuff yeah yeah when oh, I'm just trying to work that out because now did Northern Territory because Northern Territory is Labor now but I know South Australia became Labor in the last five or so years yeah. That's um, but I think Northern Territory was also liberal up until recently. We've got our crack team of journalists on it. Yeah, searching that one, but I can't. oh, never mind. <laughs> there was typing going on. I was like, oh yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Expect an answer uh, momentarily. Um, I'll just just add add to this um, this discussion here. Um, on top of that, dealing with things privately, which. This was the bit where I thought reminded me of Nemesis. Uh, Jack Sullivan, the National Security Advisor to the White House, was unsurprisingly pressed on the matter during a briefing. Oh, jump jump in. No, haven't got it. Oh, okay, no. What was what I meant to search again? Can you please repeat it? One, one second. National Cabinet when, meeting? Uh, yes, and when, when was the Northern Territory uh, Liberal? 
Last? When was the last time that Northern Territory was liberal? Mm-hmm. I should mm-hmm. speak into the mic when I speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's uh, all right. Yeah, so Jake Sullivan, when being pressed during a press briefing, uh, he didn't provide many details. Um, there was a lot of questions about when they were specifically going to meet uh, to discuss um, the, this uh, information. But he did say, Americans understand that there are a range of threats and challenges in this world that we are dealing with every single day. Point taken, common sense. Um, but I do wonder if it shows the ability, similarly to what I said before, for one issue to blow out of proportion in the public eye and for other things that occur within the walls of government to be diminished, like when we discussed last week Tony Abbott knighting Prince Philip. Whilst that looks, as, as a public onlooker, that looks like the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and, you know, that was it. That that made him untenable as Prime Minister. What we don't see in things like that is all of those little political discussions, arguments, um, discrepancies that lead up lead up to that, that issue. And so I thought it was interesting to point out that, you know what, this is one you know, potential national security threat, and if it is, they will deal with it. But there's... There, happening every day and they're dealing with it every day there's much more to politics than what's saying it's like more to politics than question time those sort of things that's true if you, okay so Ooh, yes. fact here check we here we go um adam gills was last so country liberal party mm-hmm. uh for northern territory was last uh, we hit the last time liberals were in power according to the most reputable source can anyone guess what that one is ABC? Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Um, Wikipedia. Most reputable. Um, Adam Gills was in uh, in 2016, August 2016. Okay, uh, never mind. I take back my, um, in the last five years. So it's been a while, but uh, before that it was, um, yeah, for the last 10 years or so it's been been, uh, labour. Yeah, wow. That's similar to, we must have changed over. Eight years, pardon me. Yeah, it changed over a similar time. Because we, we've been... We were 10 years of Dan Andrews. Did he? 2013 was another, when Dan Andrews was in, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So, another you know, random question. Or 2014. Which I definitely should know. He won the election, didn't he? Dan Andrews. Oh, he didn't I take the place of a sitting, an already sitting <laughs> labourer. I'm not too sure. There we go. There, there's our next... Um, but I did. I learnt. I learnt something today, which was pretty cool. Um, I actually decided that when I hear a term, I should uh, find out what it means. Right. Um, and I vaguely knew what the Gang of Eight was, but I did not really know what it was. And so I learnt about um, the the quote Gang of Eight, which is also a colloquial term. I was really excited about being the official term, and turns out not. Um, and it's. I'm sure. I'm presuming you know this. May not. May not. Oh, okay. Let's go. Well, I was going to tell our audience anyway, in case they didn't. Um, but it's eight leaders within the US Congress who are given the briefings regarding things like this, classified matters, um, intelligence, security. And whilst I vaguely knew this, I didn't realise it's makeup. So it's four and four, um, generally. From both sides. Uh, four and four, yeah, Democrat, Republic, Republican. Um and they, they've got... Now, I'm going to make sure I read what I've written before I go blurting out things about system of government different to the one I'm used to talking about. Um, so it's the leaders of the two major parties in the Senate and the House of Representatives, as well as chairs and some minority-ranking members 
of um, both the Senate and House committees for intelligence. And it currently includes Jim Himes, who we talked about before, Marco Rubio, um, Hakeem Jeffries, Mitch O'Connell, names that you you hear enough because they are big players. Um, but my favourite thing was that the Republicans' names were Mike, Mark, Mike and Chuck. But Mike, Mark and Mike... Um, Seems very American. Very American. And also... Lots of names. So confusing. Like, come on, find an- another name. Um, but I did see, also on very reputable source, Wikipedia, I believe it was in the last Congress, there were nine, not eight members of this Gang of Eight. Wow. Uh, but I had assumed, this is this is the biggest thing I learned, I assumed that the president was considered part of this Gang of Eight. So I don't know where where I went wrong there, but no... No, I'm getting, I'm getting shaking heads. I'm not too sure. No. As I said, I learnt new things today as well. Gang of Eight is something I've never heard of before. Had you heard of that, Declan? No, I actually haven't. It's actually quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd only heard, heard it heard used it. and gone, oh, yeah, everyone must know what that means. I'm just going to keep walking. But no, I thought... Anyway, on, on that note, um, any more comments about national security? Can we look to the US uh, for inspiration on how we handle national security? They seem to have handled it. I'm, I'm not sure what the scandal is, so I look forward to seeing how they handle it and whether it does become keep you any more public than it is. I have to yeah. keep you updated on the mm. developments, yeah. We will jump to a song uh, before getting into some more political matters. You're listening to Sin. Dead silence. We're back. You're listening to Represent. I did blurt out your back instead of saying we're back, but managed to cover that by the fact that I hadn't turned the mic on. We're back to hear all about much more serious topic, Pakistan. Well, we'll see how how serious we want to keep it and how hefty and, and meaty this section will be. There's a lot to get through, but Pakistan have had some... In this year of elections that we're having at the moment, with, I think, Indonesia had their election yesterday and Pakistan had their election, oh, I believe it's on the, se- the 8th of February, so last week. Um, we're here to talk about the Pakistani elections and I think we'll be touching on some elections as we go through the year, also touching on our countries that we're going through. Yes, yeah. But... Um, Pakistan held their general election on the 8th of Feb and the result has kind of put the country into political chaos. So I wanted to talk a bit about that today and, and, and what that kind of means for Pakistan and, um, yeah, how they're going with that uncertain situation. Um, so they're in the state now where they've held their general election and independent can- candidates linked to the former leader Imran Khan's party, um, Pakistan tariq e insaf or the PTI, which I'll refer to them as, they won 95 seats out of 264 seats. And then um, uh, Nawaz Sharif's Pakistan Muslim League Party, um, or PMLN, um, have won 75 seats. So they were the largest single party. But uh, the party that won 95 seats, the PTI, um, is probably the rightful winner. Uh, There's a lot of corruption and there's a lot of... um, a debate about the and, and, and um, sort of discussion about the legitimacy of, of, of the counting, also the, the situation with the elections um, and the corruption that might have been involved. Uh, and to give you a brief explanation of the country's political history, um, traditionally Pakistan has been ruled by two parties and these are run by two separate families. So the PPP or the Pakistan People's Party is run by the Bhutto family and the pa- Pakistan Muslim League or the PLMN. PLMN, catching my own words there, 
is run by the Sharif family. Um, and these are the t- have been the two major parties, and the Sharif fa- family looks likely to take power uh, in, after this election. But it's important to note that in Pakistan, the military has always played a big role in uh, elections. So the country ha- was uh, gained its independence in 1947, and in the years since, generals... There's been multiple military coups and the generals have ruled for 33 years uh, out of that time. And then when Pakistan has had parliamentary elections and uh, has also run citizen, like civilian governments, um, the military has always played a role. And there's a saying that goes that uh, the Pakistan military has never won a war, but it's never lost an election. So that's the saying at the moment. Um, And that's up until now when... uh, the Pakistan Tariq e Insaf Party, or PTI, um, which translates to Movement for Justice, um, and it's also the party of the jailed former leader Imran Khan, um, has now won 95 seats and could be the next... Or could, or there's a debate about who is going to take parliament. Both are looking to form a coalition. I'd like to also give you a little bit of context to uh, Khan as a leader. He was leader between 2018 and 2022, and he re- he was a big shake-up for the system. So he came into power as someone separate to these two, the old guard, the two parties of the two families. And he was very popular with young voters and also with um, upper and um, elite class voters. Um, he's a former cricket star, so it's quite populist in in, in the sense. Um, he's actually the greatest player Pakistan's ever had in cricket. Wow. Um, he wow. was he captained to uh, he captained the team in 1992 to win their only ever World Cup victory. Can anyone guess what city he wanted in? I want to say Melbourne. Yeah, it's Melbourne. He wanted oh. the MCG. That's why I'm asking the question. Um, but in the 90s, he started a new party, and it was a, pr- a sort of a promising change. People were really upset with the, t- the two major parties, and he came to um, he, he came to power in 2018 again with the support of the military. So the military's always played a role um, in supporting who gets to power, and um, he, he came to power in 2018. It's safe to say when he came to power, though, so he's kind of a divisive figure, and his, um, his style of le- leadership has always been really aggressive. It's really been inflammatory, um, and it's quite divisive. Uh, people have always said that compromise was never a word that he took took to or that's never a system that he had he kind of made it an idea that you're either with me or against me um and uh he had he's been claimed that there's been uh accusations that his leadership style was um um or or what he did while he was in office um he 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 was very on on he was on the topic of anti-corruption so he was on he was really uh uh, trying to fight corruption within the government but he's been accused of only going against uh, only only targeting people that were in opposition to him, so he he was doing a lot to jail people and 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 sort of convict people that had uh, been corrupt within within Pakistan's um, parliamentary system, but was going. It's accused. It was accused that he went after people that were directly against him. Um, however, he was removed in 2022 from office, uh, and he it was after he didn't really bring much change after promising a lot. So it was a big new shakeup to the system, a lot of hope, and then Pakistan still ended up in uh, has still remained in a lot of economic trouble, and um, there was a lot of floods and things that that they really promised a lot and nothing really delivered. And since then, actually in January this year, um, on the 31st, he's been jailed for 14 years um, on corruption charges. Him and his wife um, for leaking state secrets. Um, and last year, this comes after he, he was banned from entering this election. 
So that kind of takes us to the situation that we're that we're in here, where here Imran Khan. I should probably mention his name again. Imran Khan it remains really, really popular within Pakistan, um, with young voters, with with upper middle and middle class voters. Um, but he's in jail at the moment, and he also has been removed from the election race for this for this uh, election that happened yesterday. So he wasn't allowed to run, and he was he's in jail. And at the moment, um, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. But at the moment. Um, all the people that have run for his party while he's in jail, the ones that the PTI have claimed victory, they won 95 seats, they had to run it as, as independents. So in the election, uh, a lot of people voted and they had to run as independents. And they were banned, this is a pretty important point, but they were banned from using the famous cricket bat symbol that he had for the PTI party. Uh, and that's kind of a big deal when 15 million of the population, according to uh, Alima Khan, his sister, so I haven't actually fact-checked, I think it could be as high as 60 million according to Pakistan's own statistics, um, but it, 15 million voting of the pop, uh, like of the voting population are illiterate, so it's a real issue in Pakistan when you change the symbols that the party has to use and then everyone has to vote with diff- different symbols. Um, and Alima Khan, Imran's sister, in an interview with SBS, uh, she said that it's kind of de- depriving the people of their right to vote when you change the symbols and, and prevent people from um, being able to recognise who, who, who the party they want to vote for is. Um, Khan's party has also claimed at a, re- uh, at, a minim- at a minimum there's irregularities in the counting of the voting. They could have won 180 seats in their own um, eyes rather than the 95. Uh, and it's kind of left the, the, the country in some um, pretty dire straits when it comes to forming a government, especially at a time when they didn't need it. Um, to give you a little bit of context, Pakistan has an uh, inflation rate of, uh, I believe it's 30%. It sits around somewhere around 30%. 40% of the population have fallen below the po- poverty line. And they're kind of in this situation where they're running out of foreign money and they're running running out of loans uh, from, from other governments. Um and it kind of begs a question for democracy as a whole. Um, with Pakistan kind of on this knife's edge, there could be a situation where they fall to more of a military-style leadership. Um, in this year where we have so many elections, I kind of want to get your thoughts on what you think of this Pakistan election and also what you might think for other countries that are facing ch- troubles with democracy. Does anyone have any thoughts on that? Can I just jump in with a question? Yeah, go for um, it. So... There's a lot to clarify. <laughs> How many seats, you may have said this, how many seats do they need to form government without forming a coalition? So, 133. 133, okay. Or, yeah, one, 133. Uh, there's one. There's 264 seats Okay. in yeah. the election, so they need a straight 133. And uh, the proposal, um, because of how successful the independents have been, um, uh, the two major parties that I mentioned before, the PPP and the PLMN, the Muslim Party and the People's Party, they were used to be in direct opposition, but now they've uh, attempted to form a coalition um, together, together oh, okay, directly sorry, against yes. the PTI, the third party, which is Imran right. Khan's party. So these two parties are pretty worried about Khan taking power, and that's why they've taken all these measures to get him jailed. I mean, I actually... Um, would like to put uh, uh, supposedly oh. take measures, or allegedly. or allegedly is the word that we need to find. Allegedly taken measures um, to sort of prevent him from running. Uh, that's happened. Also to to um, sort of disrupt the system and and make it as difficult as possible. Make all the candidates have to be independent. Um, 
that's kind of the situation. But uh, these two parties are, are still trying to form a coalition, and they've got their their idea of who they want to be the part, uh, the new the new minister, prime minister. It's um, Shabazz Sharif, um, and he's the younger brother of the former leader. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of new territory that uh, these two parties are working together. Yeah. Uh, and similarly, the PTI or Imran Khan's party, while he's in jail, have uh, claimed that they also have a uh, a route to a coalition, and that's through working with uh, regional religious parties, which is kind of new territory for them as well, um, to form a coalition with some of the Muslim parties in, in in sort of more regional areas, and they claim they've also got the numbers as well. So it kind of leaves it in a situation where no one can really find the truth or find a, a route to parliament. And whatever happens, there's going to be a large proportion of Pakistani people that are quite dissatisfied with the whole situation. Um, and it's, it comes at a time when they really don't need this sort of instability. Um, yeah, that's how, pretty... How long do they... I don't know, because I know we had um, talk about this during the last... Now, was it the last election the one for about... Um, uh, a minority government. It was p- potential. We didn't end up with a minority government. But do you know how long they have, or if there's a time limit for them to um, to w- with the coalition? Hang on, how many would they they would have enough, wouldn't they, as a coalition? Both claim that they've got enough as a coalition to form. Okay. So it's kind of a situation where both sides claim that they've got a route to victory. Right. But no okay, one can now, really get. Now I'm getting where you're getting it. Right. They, they can't both have an. Oh my goodness. Right. So there's there's real issues with the whole system. Yeah. Part of that is actually because, and this is where I get a little bit, um, so please don't quote me on this, but um, part of that is actually with the issue about how the seats are allocated. So if you're an independent, um, you don't get extra allocation of seats. But if you're at a party, uh, there's actually the, the once you um, can claim the, the victory or you've got enough seats, you also get allocated extra seats. Um, for women and minority groups. Ah, okay. Uh, that's interesting. That's according to, I believe it's according to Al Jazeera. Um, I'm not too familiar with the parliamentary system in Pakistan to the, like, to the T um, or to the, the minute details, but I believe that there's a system where um, uh, uh, the PTI or Imran Khan's party, um, even with the, the seats that they claim have been stolen from them, so the seats that they would have been able to gather if they were collectively a party, um, because they've all had to run as um, uh, as independents, even even with or without those seats, they claim that they still have a route to the coalition. Um, it could be the first... It's kind of the first election in Pakistan that they... Uh, um, that the military might have lost... But it does seem like the two major parties, which are supported, so the the PPP and the PM PLMN, so the who are supported by the military, will now find a way to take government. Um, otherwise, there could be sort of military backlash. Um, one of the important talking points, though, is that uh, in Pakistan now, uh, it, within the public, there's a lot of people that openly now um, speak out against the military and the situation that's put them in, and that's something that's new for Pakistan, where formerly. Uh, whatever the military kind of whoever the military kind of supported allowed people to come in and and uh, and um, sort of allowed allowed uh, them to take power um, and within the population that was kind of like ac- accepted or not openly talked about now there's sort of outspread uh, um, protests against the situation that Imran Khan finds himself in where he's been jailed and that's actually when he was uh, and, and also against his the decision to remove him from the election, electoral race that was when he was jailed because he was seen as inciting violence um, uh, when 
when they removed him last year from the election race or said that he wasn't allowed to appear on the ballot paper, it's meant that uh, there was, uh, at the Electoral Commission, at the offices, there was, um, or the ele- uh, what do you call the, who runs the elections? Uh, the, the um, oh, we call it the AEC, the yeah, Electoral uh, Commission. Right, but the Commission. Do they have one of those? They have, yeah, I oh, think it's cool. called the Pakistani Electoral Commission, oh, but cool. we'll go with that for now. Um, that's where the riots took place and that's why he was jailed. So it's kind of puts us in this situation. Um, I'd be interested to hear, it might be a good time to go to a song. Um, I've sort of given you an info dump there, but when we come back, it might be interesting to talk about what this means for um, other elections that might be taking place and and, and how that might go uh, with, with their elections and, and, and sort of democracy as a whole in 2024. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we will jump to a song and continue talking about this in just a moment you're listening to sin just working out the mics are we back we We are we are back back. yes having having just you know it's been almost two hours technical difficulties what an hour and a half in hour and a half in yeah yep and it's like practically friday yeah thursday new friday but yeah, it is the new Friday. That's what people have been saying in the exactly. city. Exactly. Anyway. It feels like it. If anyone's listening and in the city, it's crazy. Crazy out there. Crazy. Bonkers. Anyway. As we were saying before it. the break, I guess, we were talking about uh, the Pakistani elections, or the Pakistan elections, and how um, there's a lot of political instability that's coming out of the situation with Imran Khan uh, being jailed, their party running as independents, uh, the PTI party, um, and then having had a lot of support and actually kind of winning the election um, in numbers and being hugely popular with the people. But then the PPP and the PLMN, um, these parties forming a coalition and having the support of the military. So Pakistan finds itself in some uh, political sort of uh, instability and kind of a dire strait considering the economic situation the country has. Um, With rising inflation, I guess, uh, to 30%, um, a lot of other issues. They've had floods in the last couple of years that have really devastated the country. Um, they're not the only country, though. That's kind of what we're coming back to talk to. They're not the only country that to, to, uh, to, at the moment that has is going to the polls. So yesterday we had the Indonesian election. I think that's the, the stat that I've heard is that's the single biggest number of people voting um, in the year. So 200 million, I believe, voted yesterday uh, in Indonesia. And a lot of other countries are also going to the polls this year. Um, 2024 has kind of been noted as the year uh, that we decide whether democracy lives or dies. Mm. So that's pretty... um, Big stakes for 24. Big stakes for 2024. It's also the year with the most elections, I believe. I think there's something like 70. Um, Wow. I might be getting that number wrong, but uh, it's up there. Not impossible. Um, So I kind of wanted to talk about, with the Pakistani election and... um, the situation that finds itself. I kind of wanted to talk about or ask you, actually, what do you think, um, with all these elections happening, um, how do you think it'll pan out for democracy by the end of this year? And um, it's a big question, but uh, what do you think of the situation for democracy? And um, are we electing leaders that maybe... Are we finding ourselves in countries where maybe democracy won't survive? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Really painting an optimistic picture. Um, I think the first first thing we go to is that we look to those those big powers that hold a lot of a lot of swing and where 
democracies. It's obviously we are a democratic nation. Um, I'd like to think we're doing quite well, uh, especially relative to other nations that I hear about. Um, Places like the US that are so big and their their elections going to be on everyone's minds, the way that plays out I think will be one of those... I mean, it's definitely not the first election. It'll be one of the last elections of the year. But I think that'll be part of a deciding factor on on how we perceive democracy and its uh, and how effective it is, especially things like we've talked about having a convicted felon as the president or prime minister, that sort of thing. Um, and what what most interests me about this is the, so the idea I suppose when I think of democracy. I think of it as as people being able to vote on what they believe. Yes, they're voting on people, but they're voting on what they believe. But if you've got two parties that for so long have been opposing parties, to whatever extent that is, and they're now forming a coalition... This is in Pakistan, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm jumping all over the world. Um, in, In my head, correct me if I'm wrong, that would be like the Liberal Party and the Labor Party forming a coalition. Well, the best way that I could put it, right, is if... um uh, let's think of a, who's a really famous Australian critic. Right. Um, I mean, rest in peace, but oh, say that Shane Warne... <laughs> I was going right. to go with Warner. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Warner no, we could do... Because he's could just retired. Smith. How do we not know that this right. is his next pursuit? Yeah. Or Ricky Ponting or someone. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, my knowledge of the cricketers is not that great. But um, say that one of the really popular and big cricketers that won us um, a World Cup formed a political party that was going to take over and and say uh, shake up the old guard pretty much. Yeah. Uh, say that they formed a big party and gained a lot of support. It would be like the Liberals and Labor joining together um, to directly oppose that party. Um, wow. It's kind of a new situation. Yeah. Um, I think that they kind of have worked a little bit with each other before. There's a, a lot of situations where uh, so it's it's not it's not. Un, like it's not maybe it's not direct like a direct comparison because they're two very different countries, um, but yeah, there's a lot of instability that's come out of this situation. I actually probably see more similarities with um, with this situation with uh, America maybe, yeah. where Trump is facing a lot of and, and they're very different political leaders. But Imran Khan um, and they sit probably on the spectrum like the, the political uh, spectrum a little bit different, or the political compass sorry a little bit different. They sit in different spots. But Trump, for example, is facing a lot of criminal charges. Imran Khan's in jail at the moment, um, and then. Uh, uh, the, the parties are sort of jostling with each other and, and it's also a situation where they might not be accepting the results of the election so the two major parties are not accepting the results of the election even though Imran Khan might have won so jumping across the sides it's all a bit different but there's similarities there yeah. about acceptance of the election and also about the leaders and their, their situation with legal issues Yeah. Um, I think that it really poses a question of also in a lot of these countries, I read an article on the ABC um, about which was speaking about uh, like how we will know whether um, democracy lives or dies by the end of 2024. And there was a lot of talk about the fact that we might actually be electing, um, or countries across the world could be actually electing leaders that are uh, like, they, we're democratically electing leaders that are like um, illiberal or, or that are not democratic in their nature, so the more yes. authoritarian. Okay, and, yeah. and that could be a real issue for... Um, for the world, pretty much. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, there's also, uh, we've come back to this last week, but there's also issues with AI and like um, issues around elections and their legitimacy yeah. across the world. And uh, 
that ha- poses real questions for democracy. Um, in in Pakistan, Imran Khan actually used AI himself to deliver a message from jail. To to um, this is this is pretty big news, but to deliver a message from jail saying that his party had won the election and denouncing the uh, statement from Sharif, the opposing party. Um, his goal was to sort of uh, like uh, uh, show the voters that he was really uh, still fighting and from jail he's, re- he's making big efforts. But it really poses a question considering like about messaging and the use of AI and legitimacy and like um, authenticity of, of, of politicians um, and possibly shows a way that AI could be maybe not used for a positive sense but like used legitimately. Um, yeah, it poses a big question. Um, I'd love to play the video, but it's actually in Urdu. Uh, how do you... Urdu? I'm going to say. Or Urdu. Ah, damn. Your pronunciation would be better than mine. Um, the national la- language of Pakistan. Urdu. Oh, I can't say my U's very well, can I? Or my R's. Um, there <laughs> we go. Um, but yeah, across the world, I think that uh, the, the democracy rating has declined, even though it's been going up for 100 years. So, so since 2000. And 10, it's sort of been on a, a steady decline, whereas before that it was on a long and steady uh, incline. Um, so we're in a situation where it's a bit of a turning point for democracy. Uh, yeah, that's Pakistan, and that's kind of the world situation at the moment. Oh, that's fascinating. I do wonder whether Australia... I mean, we we have all kinds of jobs predating those who are currently in politics, um, but... We do love our cricket and and the idea of someone who is especially in times of world tension and conflict, which I feel like we say it is all the time, um, to have someone that at an integral level is homely and comforting in a way that things like sport bring countries together you know what's to say when you're you know standing in the polls that that person can't bring the country together in a political sense too it's a real example of populism i guess in yeah. the way that like imran khan has has really used his status um but there's a lot more to him than just cricket um he's he's been when he was a cricket star he did a lot of charity work and yeah. sort of set up hospitals he and has things credentials and he has credentials and and that work that he'd done as well with sort of i think it was cancer I believe it was cancer research um, in Pakistan, setting up a cancer hospital as well. Um, that work kind of led him towards fighting an anti-corruption fight in yeah. Pakistan. Um, there's a lot to say about him and sort of good sides and bad sides, particularly uh, around those corruption allegations and also around um, sort of his style of po- politics and whether it sort of is quite violent um, or divisive. But, uh, yeah, it would be very interesting to see in Australia or across the world if more former sports stars or maybe musicians, yeah, possibly. Um, Great little, segue. Little segue here to what we might be talking about next, um, but whether they take up politics. So that could be a big issue in the future. Um, we might jump to a song. Yeah, on that note. And on that note, we're coming back to... We're, we're com- coming back to... Well, a musician that we might be talking musici- about oh, right you, after yeah. the break. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Trying to jump the segues the, there. No, no idea who that could be. You know, uh, tweet tweet your ideas of what musician we could be talking about during the uh, ad break at Sin Represent plugging the socials. Um, this is True Crime by Tom Snowden. You're listening to Sin. Back. You're listening to Represent on Sin. 
And we've got a very light segment for the next, you know, five, ten minutes. Some might say it's the most political yet. Oh, yes, yes. Well, every single person on the streets of Melbourne was carrying a bag with the Eras Tour written on it. But as I was saying that, I forgot my really, really good segue. (laughs) My um, great segue that I, you know, came up with. It's like... Imran Khan is not the only big name that's been setting foot on the MCG. Right. <laughs> Taylor Swift. She hasn't done it yet, but not she has yet. touched down in Melbourne, right? She has. She touched down in Melbourne at about 1am this morning with lots of Swifties standing there trying to get a sight of her as she got from her private jet to the blackened windowed SUVs to go to Crown Towers. Stella, we should go say hi. Interview her. Right. Taylor Swift on Represent. One of every single reporter in Melbourne trying to get yeah. an interview with her, probably. Absolutely. I did wonder, it's my you know, crazy possibility, if she would go on 7.30. That's my, that's For my guess. For a long conversation. Yeah, or, or like pretty, pretty, it'd be pretty quick. It'd be a long part of her day, but while she's in Sydney, it was my, I was trying to work out which show would she go on. She's got to go on one. Yeah. She'd probably do a few... Oh, yeah. I, she's I almost too big to be on TV. I know. Like, like, I couldn't imagine her sitting on Sunrise. No, no. Like she, wouldn't, she wouldn't you know, no, sit on a couch. That's, that's too big for her. Sorry, Although, too too small for her. Small time. But then again, we've got to work out, like, what's our equivalent of, say, um, is it the late night show? Yeah, right. That, uh, sort, of, that sort of thing. Do, we don't really they have... They have, like, the late night show. They have the late, late show. Yeah. They have... Uh, but somehow I feel like she'd be on main main media. Right. People like Julie Andrews have been on 7.30. This is totally unrelated, Off but topic. kind of related. Um, but she's here. She's expected to very, very much help the economy. Um, according to the ABC, the city of Melbourne estimates Swift will bring in more than $1 billion to the city's economy. And we usually have um, about 3.3 billion dollars um, in in economic value brought in from major events in a year. So she is essentially bringing in a third of what we'd usually have. It's pretty That's impressive. A lot of money and as we just um, researched her net worth is about 1.1 billion USD according to Forbes. So you know, we're talking big figures here. I had a debate with someone the other day. Ooh. So Beatlemania has obviously been, obviously been huge, but yeah. who do you think's had more of an impact, the Beatles or Taylor Swift? Oh, that is... It's a big question. Huh. Well. Yeah, because I feel like... Now, the Beatles were the 60s, 70s. Right. So that was in a sort of preempting big change in women's rights, um, Indigenous rights in Australia. A um, lot of lot of movement in the seventies, and we could say, you know, that was more of a turning point than we've got than we've had now with Taylor Swift. Right. Just generally across across the globe and in Australia. So maybe political impact the Beatles nudge. Yeah, I think even though even though we are seeing talk of because in I think it was twenty eighteen, um, during an an election in her home ta- in her home state. Um, she did speak up for the first time. She spoke up for the Democratic Party. Um, and people do wonder if, you know, being such a big face as she is now, will she speak in that direction? Um, and there's been uh, concern from people who identify more with the 
right wing of parliament that because she has in the past stood in for, uh, you know, and to support Democrats, will she do that again with such a major election? You know, dancing around the conspiracy theories there. Yeah, I, I, I really, really am. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, there is, there, there's a big question about when these big artists, whether they go political or not. And some are often critiqued on their... Or like, or, or there's a lot of criticism, criticism given to them when they don't speak out on issues, for example. Um, but then, likewise, when they do. Yeah, right. It, it's so, a bit, you know, uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. A lot of people were angry at why she was getting so much attention with the Super Bowl. But yeah. there's a good question about for that for that case i mean that doesn't really matter because because it's not well it's for her it, it's, it's not her fault right that no. she's getting that sort of attention um when she got here in melbourne i see that you've written down here that there was a big welcome sign sorry welcome swifties on uh flinders street right yes. they lit it up as yeah, well. they lit it up. and then um i wonder what it so there's been talk as well that i'm not sure what the name's called but they have these parties outside the mcg or not yet the, the mcg the people that run the mcg I'm not too sure who that is. Maybe even the Victorian government have actually um, advertised that uh, people should, or have, have have recommended that people should stay away from the gardens around the MCG yeah. because people throw parties outside Taylor Swift concerts. Yeah. Is that a phenomenon? Yes. So part of I feel like such an expert on Taylor Swift. Um, part of you know missing out on tickets, but also the the culture of Taylor Swift, who has it's it's hard to find someone who, I'm going to premise this with this, this is like the long way of getting to the answer. Um, it's hard to find someone who likes, uh, sorry, dislikes Taylor Swift uh, from, uh, as a person. People dislike hearing about her. She's very popular. People might dislike her music. But you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who dislikes her as a person. She's always been very nice, and she has curated this culture, a very um, friendly culture. You know, everybody's your friend. You're all giving out friendship bracelets to total strangers at her tour. And part of that is the people who either missed out on tickets or who want to be there for each night will throw parties with strangers um, of any age outside the venues, and they will sing along because... Believe it or not, apparently it's loud enough that you can you wow, can see you fun. can hear her singing outside the venue. Um, however, I actually I'm in a Facebook group about you know the Eras tour for people who are going to the Eras tour. Uh, it was so exciting when I got to join that group. Um, but there's been a lot of people expressing concern, especially from a um, a perspective of people with disabilities, yeah. about getting through crowds, especially with merchandise being sold at the MCG outside the venue as well as inside the venue, um, and it's going to be an unbelievable amount of people. Um, but I, I can't imagine how much security they're going to have. It's So even though, yes, there'll be a lot of people, you would, if you don't like crowds or you don't like Taylor Swift's music or you have anything bad to say about Taylor Swift, I wouldn't go yeah. near the MCG. But overall, from what I've seen, as a whilst there will be parties outside culturally they sit on a very positive um and yeah. from the sounds of it less rowdy because there's an acknowledgement that taylor swift has a following of people you know in their 80s down to kids of three and four years old um it's very very broad and so you know the likelihood of obviously it's crowd unpredictable yeah. but rowdiness i think is across the board less likely seemed pretty pretty impressive to have such a big positive movement I going know. on I'm so excited. On that security note, you were mentioning earlier that, uh, like, obviously Taylor Swift has jetted into Melbourne with her private jet, but yeah. um, 
it must be uh, we were we were talking about like the ethics of that and sort of uh like there's been questions over the environmental impact as well um yeah. but one of the things that you were saying which which kind of makes sense as well and i didn't hadn't considered is imagine her sitting on a public like uh on on in first class on on some sort of airplane you probably could never get anywhere because oh, such delays no. and security would be enormous yeah and and the the um i mean it's it's not a no great thought, but if someone was to uh, attempt to harm her because, you know, part of it is for her safety, you're actually putting a whole plane of right. people at risk too. Right. Um, as, as we speak, I'm just looking for our uh, favourite song. Right. Uh, our show uh, has has loved last year, um, Willow by Taylor Swift, which is what we will leave you with. Um just before we leave, but though, yeah, keep, keep we have one yep. final political thing that we need to do today. Uh, it's very important. Every week, we're looking to go through a random country and give you a little bit of backstory. Um, I believe we're calling the segment What's Happening in the World Right Now. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yep, yep. Okay, so here's my knowledge. Um, so now we're going to have a jar where we pick out a name out of the jar, um, or sorry, the name of a country, and then we'll discuss that country. Uh, but today we have a random generator because we haven't quite organised the jar. So, um, drum roll, please. The I'm country, drum roll the country for next week is Spain. Spain. All right. Ooh. That's do we, exciting. Do we want to do we want to do two? And we'll, we'll bring in two. Oh, all right. Cool. So, you know, there's a lot of countries in the world. So Spain is number one. All right. And then we'll have to rock paper scissors it. And. The Philippines. The Philippines. Ooh. Well, for the loyalists listening. We will be talking about Spain and the Philippines next week. And it's close to six o'clock. It's almost dinner time. What are you having for dinner? Not sure yet. I have to work yeah, that out. Likewise. And I'm heading straight out, so who knows? Um, you can catch this program if you missed parts of it. We talked about lots of interesting things today um, on any, any podcast platform, Omni, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it's Sin Represent... Um, and let us know what you thought of the episode on our socials. We're on pretty much everything. I'm not great at posting on them. I think I posted on Twitter slash X. Um, we'll, we'll get better at that. You know, always room for improvement. Uh, let us know what you thought. And as always, remember to stay, stay political. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast, where young people run the show.